Well, this Advent, we are looking at milestone moments in the early life of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're looking at an event that happened on the very day of his birth. This is the story of the angelic announcement of the arrival of Jesus. It was made to the shepherds. Specifically, what we'll be focusing on in this passage, it's a verse that comes right in the middle of the passage, verse 14. This is, these are the well-known words of the heavenly host. The heavenly host shows up on the scene and they say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We want to think specifically about that announcement by the heavenly host. So I'm going to read it. We're in Luke chapter 2 and starting in verse 8. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And before I read it, I'll pray. Holy Father, thank you now that we collectively together can come before the richness of your word. We thank you that your word is true and that it shall abide forever. Thank you that it is worthy of our trust. And I pray that you would help us to understand these words, to understand the importance of this announcement and what that implies, what that, what that entails for us today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, first of all, before we get to the words that were spoken by the heavenly host, verse 14, we get an announcement, we get the news of the birth, which is spoken by one angel, an angel of the Lord, and he tells the shepherds that this very day the Messiah has been born in the town of David. This was the particular day that had been planned in eternity past before the creation of the world and in some ways all of history has been building towards this day. We're told in the book of Colossians that by Jesus all things were created. 
in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, we're told in Colossians 1, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. That's what it says, through him and for him. Now that, that little preposition, for, is so theologically important. Think about that. All of creation, everything in the creative world was created for Jesus. We exist, everything exists for Jesus. All things created through him and for him. And this is the day that he enters into his creation as a human boy. This one for whom all things were made, he enters into it as a boy, while at the same time retaining his divinity. The angel refers to Jesus as a savior. So when God came, why did he come as a savior? Why does the angel go out of his way to explicitly say that this boy is a savior? And the reason that when God came, he came as a savior is because anyone who has ever sinned against God needs a savior. It's what we needed. Only God can forgive sins against God, and all sin is ultimately against God. And that is why God the Father sent the eternal Son of God into the world because we needed a Savior. And on this day, so long ago, in the city of David, our Savior was born. The angel goes on to say, Savior, uses the word Savior, and then he says, Who is Christ? Christ, as you know, is the English word for the Greek word Christos, and that means the anointed one, and that is a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. This is the Messiah. The Savior is the Messiah. This is the one who was long predicted, has been long awaited, has been long prayed for, long anticipated, long watched for, the one who is anointed above all others, the Messiah, the promised one. And not only is he the Savior and the Messiah, but the angel also refers to him as the Lord. The angel is just stacking up these titles for Jesus. Savior, Messiah, Lord. The baby in the manger is, is the Lord. He's the ruler. He's the creator. He is the sustainer of the whole world. Mighty God incarnate. The Lord of the universe veiled in flesh. So on this day in history, described in Luke 2, in the city of David, the Savior who will take away our guilt, who will restore our relationship to God, he has been born. He is also the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, who has come in fulfillment of the hopes and prayers of God's people. And he is also the Lord. He is, in fact, God Almighty, wrapped in human flesh. That is the that is the content of the news announced by this single angel of the Lord. But then suddenly he conveys that message, that content about this special baby that has been born on this day in this particular city. And then suddenly there is a multitude of the heavenly host. And that multitude proclaims two great purposes or outcomes of the news. The one angel said the news and then the heavenly host proclaims the outcome of this news. The two purposes can be summed up in two words. 
glory and peace. Those are the two key words of this announcement, of this sermon, glory and peace. Jesus was born for the glory of God and for the peace of his people. Jesus was born for the glory of God and for the peace of God's people. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. God's glory, our peace. Just want to briefly consider those two aspects of the incarnation and how those two are related to each other. God's glory and our peace. They're connected. They go together. There's a reason the angels said, the heavenly host said those two things together. The entrance of God onto the human stage of history is truly one of the greatest revelations of the glory of God. God revealing his own glory through this birth. All of creation reveals the glory of God, right? We know this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The stars pour forth his praise. All of creation is an arrow indicating, pointing to the glory of God, right? Mountains, oceans, planets, trees, butterflies, tadpoles, creation itself points to the creator and his glory. But the coming of this child who will bring peace to God's people is arguably the greatest revelation of the glory of God that the world has ever seen. And after the arrival of this child, God's peace is then spread everywhere that this child is received. These are, according to the announcement of this heavenly host, these are the great purposes of the coming of Jesus. God's glory ascending up from humans to God, and God's peace descending down from God to humans. His glory, our peace. His greatness, our joy. His beauty, our pleasure. His forgiveness and our salvation. The point of creation and redemption is that God is glorious and God means to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled humanity. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, most likely you know that the old King James Version, the, the well-known King James Version of this verse, says, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what it says in the carol, right? On earth peace, peace on earth, and goodwill toward men. Well, virtually all modern translations agree that that was not a particularly accurate Translation. So in the NIV, it says, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Not just peace to all men, but peace to those on whom his favor rests. The NASB says, on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Not all, but among those with whom he is pleased. And the ESV says, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The point is that even though God's offer of peace goes out to all Without exception, the offer of peace goes out broadly, and yet it's only his chosen people, the people who have received Christ by grace through faith and who have trusted in him as their Savior and Messiah, only they will experience the peace that he brings. And I think we get a glimpse of, of the meaning of this announcement of the heavenly host, peace upon those upon whom his favor rests. Later in the life of Jesus, we see how this works out. Remember, he's speaking to his disciples. This is in Luke in chapter 10. And he's giving instructions to his disciples as they go out and proclaim the message of the kingdom. And they say, whatever house you enter, 
first. First thing you do when you enter that house, say, peace be to this house. That's what the disciples are supposed to say upon entering a house. Peace be to this house. That is an offer of peace to all. And Jesus goes on to say, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remember that? So the offer of peace is made to all, right? But it is only experienced by those who will receive it. How do you know if you're on the receiving end of this promise? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. How do you know if you are among those with whom he is pleased? The answer is that if you welcome the peacemaker, if you receive Jesus by faith, then you will experience peace, the peace of Christ that passes understanding. And if you don't receive that, then you won't experience it. But this offer of peace, it, it, is, it is personal, it is individual, but it's not just, it's not simply an individual or a personal offer. We know that there are global aspects to this peace that lie in the future, that we're not experiencing yet collectively. But we know because we have promises in the Bible from God, like the promise in the prophet Habakkuk, who says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Right? One day, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Or Isaiah, in the familiar verse, says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. One day there will be no end to the peace that the Prince of Peace will establish. I know it's hard to believe when we consider the state of the world right now, but this peace that the Savior brings will one day be global, will be universal from shore to shore, and the disruptors of that peace will be separated and removed from the new heavens and the new earth. But for now, right now, Today, even in the midst of the chaos of the world, the lack of peace in the world, there is a local peace in the hearts and lives and families and churches of those who will receive the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And the key to this peace is keeping together what the angels keep together, glory to God, peace to humans. Right? A heart committed to the glory of God will know the peace of Christ. They go together. And what holds those two together God getting glory and humans getting peace is believing and trusting the promises of God obtained by Jesus. That's why he came, right? Romans 15, verse 13, it says it this way. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, right? In believing. May you be filled with all joy and all peace in believing. The way that God's promises become real for us and produce peace in us is through believing the promises of God. When we receive and believe the promises of God, we experience peace in believing. So in closing, I just, I just want to talk about three relationships in which God wants us to pursue peace and experience peace and enjoy peace. The three relationships as we think about this gift of peace, this gift of shalom, is peace with God. We have peace with God. Peace within ourselves. We are, we are content and peaceful, not anxious within ourselves. And peace with other people. Peace relationally. So I just want to take a moment to look at each of those. I want for us each to think if we are experiencing... Uh, we have been promised this peace from God. 
So it's not that it's not available, it's there, but are we experiencing these three layers or levels of peace? And if not, why not? Because they have been given to us. Peace with God, peace within yourself, and peace with other humans. And just to be clear, peace, when we talk about peace, when we talk about the shalom of God, the peace of God, it's not just a negation, it's not just an absence of conflict. Peace is not just that there's no conflict or animosity. Peace is the presence of joyful rest, is the presence of satisfaction and, and tranquility. So the first and most basic need that all humans have is we have a need for peace with God. Right? This is foundational to all other experiences or pursuits of peace. We must first be at peace with God. If we don't, if we, if we don't experience peace with God first, all other experiences of peace will be superficial and temporary. So again, I'll quote from Romans. Romans has so much to say about our peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. Justified means that God has declared us to be, in His sight, righteous. The righteousness of Christ counted to our account, justified in God's eyes. God does that by faith alone, since we have been justified by faith. That's what it says. That means we are not justified by works. We are not justified by tradition. We are not justified by our baptism. We are not justified by our church membership. We are not justified by our piety. We are not justified by believing all the right doctrines. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And the result of that justification is peace with God. God's wrath, which had previously been directed towards us because of our sin, is extinguished. God's wrath is extinguished and God adopts us into his family and he will never, ever be against us. He is our father and he is our friend. And therefore, we have peace. Peace with God, real and lasting Peace with God. That means we don't need to be afraid anymore, ever, about anything. This is the peace with God that we have because Jesus came into the world. And because we now have that peace with God offered to us and available to us, we can then begin to experience peace within ourselves. That restlessness that humans feel, that we all feel, can be calmed. We can have peace within our own hearts. Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything. Right? Being anxious is the opposite of being peaceful. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And, remember what it says after that? If you do that, if we do that, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Right? The picture here is that our hearts and minds are under attack all the time, right? That's why the verb guard is used, right? Because we are under attack and we needed to be guarded. How many situations and circumstances and conversations just this past week did you have that tried to rob you of peace? Where your peace had to be guarded because there was some circumstance or some situation or some conversation that tried to snatch your peace from you. Right? Guilt, worry, threats, 
confusions, uncertainties, anxieties, hard circumstances, bad news, misunderstandings, they all threaten, they seek to threaten our peace. And Paul says that God wants to guard our hearts and minds. He wants to protect our peace. He guards them in a way that goes beyond what any human understanding can fathom. They don't want to limit the peace of God by what our understanding can see, by what our intellect can apprehend. It's bigger than that. It's, it surpasses understanding. He gives us an inexplicable peace that goes beyond our circumstances and our intellects. And he does it when we take our anxieties to him in prayer and when we believe in him. And when we do this, when we come to him and, and remember that we already have peace with God through Christ, that's been established, and then we trust him as our loving and almighty heavenly father to, to help us, his peace comes to us and steadies us and protects us. And it, it, it protects us from, from the disabling effects of fear and anxiety and guilt. And then we're able to carry on and God gets the glory for what we do because we have trusted in him. And then finally, that's peace with God and peace within our own hearts. The third relationship where this peace is available is our relationships with, with others, with one another. Uh, for many of you, if you, I mean, Christmas is a time where we see people that maybe we don't see people regularly during the rest of the year, right? Like maybe family gatherings or something like that. And sometimes for some people, when you get together with family, there are some, there are some broken relationships. There are some awkward interactions. We all know what it feels like to not be at peace with everyone, right? We all know what it feels like to have some challenging and strained relationships, do we not? And I think that the key in those situations, in order to experience peace with one another, is trusting the promises of God, right? Keeping the focus on God, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. Remembering how God has forgiven us, how God has forgiven me through Christ. Right? Do you remember the, these words from Ephesians 4, where Paul wrote to the Ephesian church and he said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Paul wrote that to the church at Ephesus, and he used the word all. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. He doesn't say, hang on, you know, the, the, the anger and the wrath and the bitterness that, that's justified, that you have a right to hold on to, or to, to, to leverage against other people. Hang on to that, but get rid of the other stuff. No, he says all. Whether you have a right to be or not, let it all go. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then what? Once you've put all that away, then what? Here's what he says. The next command is be kind. He says, put away all of that. Whether you think you have a right to it or not, put it away. And then be kind. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's the principle. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you and I continually cultivate a sense of amazement that in spite of all of our sins, in spite of all of my sins, 
God has forgiven me through Christ. If I can cultivate a sense of amazement that that is true, if, if we are actively experiencing peace with God, the peace that was brought to us through the arrival of Christ, and peace within our own souls because we have been forgiven and reconciled to God, then that will position us to be at peace with others, even if that means extending grace and forgiveness to someone 70 times 7 times, which is exactly what God has done for us. Now, you might extend that grace and forgiveness, and that might be just thrown right back in your face. If that happens to you, keep in mind what kind of company that puts you in. It certainly was thrown back in the face of Jesus on the cross. Now, that hurts. And that can make you bitter if you let it, so don't let it. Keep being more amazed that your wrongs are forgiven than that you have been wronged. Be more amazed that your wrongs are forgiven than that someone has committed a wrong against you. Keep trusting God. God knows what he's doing. Keep God's glory, the focus and purpose of your whole life, and then your life will reflect this message proclaimed by the heavenly host on the day Jesus was born. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to those on whom its favor rests. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is why he came, that God would get the glory and that you and I would know real, lasting peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you were and are the shalom bringer, the shalom restorer, the prince of peace. We know from reading the Bible that we collectively, humans, experienced peace in the garden. We had peace. The world was set up us to experience peace with God and peace within ourselves and peace with one another. And we also know that sin broke the shalom. And we are this morning so grateful for the message of Christmas, for the arrival of, of you, Lord Jesus, our Savior, the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, born in the city of David, born through the line of David, born in fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, and born the Prince of Peace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your life and death and resurrection have established peace between us and God, have, have built a bridge and reconciled us to a holy God. We thank you that as a result of that, we can experience peace and contentment and joy and satisfaction in our own hearts, in our own lives. And thank you that that, therefore, creates the space, the foundation, the platform for us to experience peace with one another. May it be so. Amen.